afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? Welcome to the Saturday Irish. I'm Tyler Rojack. I'm going to be joined by Luke Smith here in a bit. We got the chance to talk with Mike McGlinchey again this week, and it was great having him on. If you've been with us since the very beginning, you know Mike was one of our very first guests. I think we had him on our like our third episode ever. Uh, he's a great interview this time around. We talked about how his rehab has been going as he recovers from a pretty brutal torn quad injury he suffered back in early November. So unfortunately, he hasn't been able to be out there playing during this incredible run by the 49ers, but he's still been able to cheer them on. So we get into that. We talk a lot about Harry Heastand coming back to coach the offensive line at Notre Dame and how that might look under new head coach Marcus Freeman. And honestly, a whole lot more. We uh, didn't plan. We uh, didn't plan for this interview to be an episode in itself. Initially, we were going to wait until Notre Dame rounded out the coaching staff with the defensive coordinator hire and running backs coach. But then this went pretty long. We really enjoyed it, so we wanted to share it immediately. And I, I hope you guys enjoy it as well. If you want to hear more from Mike, we're going to attach a link to our first interview with him as well when we tweet the show out, uh, because even though we recorded it back in 2020, pretty much all of it is evergreen content. So go check that out, too, if you want. But all right, here he is, Mike McGlinchey. All right, we're pumped to have Mike McGlinchey back on the show. One of the best offensive linemen to come through Notre Dame joins us now, actually in the week leading up to the NFC Championship game, as Mike's 49ers are set to take on the Los Angeles Rams here in a few days. Mike we have a lot we want to get to, but um, let's start with the NFC Championship. I'm sure it's been tough recovering from your torn quad injury, but I mean, what a ride it's been for you and your guys. So how have you been during all this? You know what? I've been good, man. Um, it's it's like this catch-22 that I'm in right now that uh, I'm so excited for our guys and, and, and the way that they fought all year long and the team that they turned into. I, it's just like this funny situation that I'm in because I'm so excited um, that we're in the NFC Championship and the fight that we've had the way that we've overcome everything this season from, you know, a shitty start and a shitty record to uh, this, you know, being the best team in the NFL over the last like 10 or 11 weeks, being nine and two out of our last 11. And, and we've done it in such crazy ways, man. Like whether it's the uh, minute to go in LA to clinch the playoffs, block punt, block field goal to beat green Bay, um, or, you know, even in the first round of the, uh, of the playoffs, just to beat Dallas in the way that we did, you know, handled the game pretty much the whole time, but even had to just have a, have a scare at the end. You know, it's just like this whole season's been this unbelievable roller coaster, um, uh, and especially for me, obviously. And, and then at the same time, now, you know, we're competing at the highest level, at the highest stage for the biggest of trophies that our sport offers – and I'm on the sideline for it. And um, that's not the greatest feeling, but um, at the end of the day, I'm still a part of this team. I've, uh, I've led this team for a number of years now. Um, and uh, no matter how it gets on my finger, I'd like a Super Bowl ring. So um, 
it's uh it's a pretty it's been a fun year our guys are have, have stepped up in major ways and uh it's just been it's been a fun one for sure and i guess just from your perspective how has uh, the re- the rehab process been going rehab's been great uh, thanks for asking um you know i've i've uh, i'm a number of weeks or months ahead of where they thought i'd be at this time um so i tore my quad tendon so it's the attachment that attaches your quad muscle across your kneecap and the patella tendon. So it's like right at the top of my knee um, tore. Thankfully it didn't go all the way. So I, my quad didn't like recoil into my, you know, in the rest of my leg. So I, I, I had like five or 10% still attached. Um, and rehab has been awesome. You know, I have full range of motion. I'm starting to be able to do just a little bit of running, um, you know, slowly but surely getting back, just have to stay patient. Um, which has never been my strong suit, but uh, I've been proud of the way that uh, we've been able to, you know, attack this uh, these last couple of weeks. Yeah, that sounds just excruciatingly painful too. So you seem to have a good attitude about it. That's pretty impressive. Crazy. It was the craziest thing. I, obviously, as an offensive lineman, um, your legs take a beating, especially a guy. I'm I'm all levers. I'm all arms and legs, and and my, I got to bend a long way to be able to stay under some underneath some dudes and. Uh, my knees had been taking a little bit of a beating and um, it turns out I, what, you know, tendonitis is, is what I, I had. And that's partial tearing of the, of the tendon there. So my quad, I had quad tendonitis and um, it had just kind of gotten progressively worse. The more years and more games that I played, uh, I did a lot of things to get it under control and, and all that. But finally this season, um, you know, I had, I guess, something maybe tweaked it in one of the games early on and then was kind of dealing with some really good pain for, you know, six or seven weeks where it was different than what anything that I had ever felt throughout, you know, battling the low knee pain or the low tendonitis that I'd had earlier. And, um, and it just tore. And I, 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 I was anchoring on a bull rush against Arizona the second time and my right leg just kind of popped. And, um, and I, I knew it right away. I was like, I, it hurt pretty good. I would imagine. <laughs> but I thought, I thought it was just like a tweak to the problem that I had already had. Cause it was, I, my, my knee was in a lot of pain all year. And so I, I, but I was able to keep going on it. And then I got to the sideline. I had to finish the drive. It's a hilarious clip of me trying to block Chandler Jones on third down and my legs like completely <laughs> straight, like falling on my face. Um, trying to finish the drive. And then I get over there, I cool off and I couldn't bend my knee anymore. And um, so that's when I knew I, something was up and got an MRI the next morning. And, and uh, that was, that was that. Yeah. Well, definitely glad to hear that you're, you're well on the road to recovery, but th- there's also a lot we want to get to, but, but let's start with Notre Dame hiring Harry. He to coach the offensive line again. You're as good of a source on this as anyone considering Harry recruited you to Notre Dame. You played for him throughout your five-year career. So I'll just give you the floor to tell us your reaction to the hire and, and what this means for the program. Really anything you want to share. You know what? I think it's huge. Um, you know, football starts up front. Football always has and always will start up front. And uh, in co- at the college level and at the pro level even, um, a strong O-line unit is the heartbeat of the team. And um, Harry takes a lot of pride in that, and that's where we got that philosophy. And, uh, you know, for the six years that he was there uh, the first time, no, no unit on the team meant more to Notre Dame football than the offensive line. 
And uh, it was the guys that we had, the leaders that we had, uh, and the talent that he, you know, recruited and then developed. And um, it's the, you know, our, his resume of producing us, I guess we could say at, um, at the college level is, uh, is, is one of the best anybody's ever seen. And um, the culture that he brings, um, the, the teaching that he brings, the prep, the pre preparation that he brings, and there's an attitude that you have to have to play for that guy, man. He is a grinder, and um, but in all the best ways, he he pushes you and pushes you and pushes you until you have a standard set for yourself that he has for you. And if uh, if you're working as hard as he's working, um, you know you're gonna have a great relationship with him. Um, and uh, Harry is one of the best people I've ever come across to. Um, at times I didn't think that, you know, I wanted to kill him at times when I was in college, but, um, the way that he take, took care of me, the way that he provided me with an opportunity and, you know, the way that, you know, he instructed me for years. Um, and, and, and the cool thing about it is that he cares more about you as a, as a guy than he does a football player. And, uh, that's why we're all really, really close to him today. And I can't wait, um, to get back to school and, and, uh, and, and go through a practice and watch him do it all over again. I'm glad you brought that up because I, like, I don't think there's any doubt that Harry is one of, if not the best in the business of coaching offensive linemen. But some people have expressed concern about Harry's, uh, we'll call it tough love, old school coaching style and how that meshes with Marcus Freeman's style of coaching. And we've heard stories from you and Mike Olick Jr., Sam Bush, and Logan Plants. They have, they've got plenty about Harry's uh, colorful vocabulary and the occasional outburst. But as tough as he can be, the one message that's been pretty consistent is that you guys clearly have a love and respect for him that goes well beyond football. So I guess you tell us, as someone who played for him for a long time, you said there were a lot of ups and downs. How do you think Harry's style is going to mesh in this new regime that's so player-centric? You know what? It's going to be interesting. Um, I think it there, there was a generational shift that, hap that happened kind of after I was leaving college or even right before I was leaving college where the kid that was getting recruited was a little bit different than, than in attitude and in, the way, in swagger and all this kind of stuff than when we were high school seniors. And, and, and um, this new wave of attitude is kind of interesting to me um, because I don't necessarily think it's the right way. I, like, and – I was, I was raised old fashioned. I was coached old fashioned my whole life. And I know that if, if Harry's telling me something, he's not just telling me something because he, he has a job to do or he needs to fill time. Every single thing that guy does is with a, it was with, with a sole purpose in mind. And that's where his training um, is going to mess with Marcus fine. Because at the end of the day, Harry wants the same thing that Marcus wants. He wants to win. He wants to recruit and develop great players. He wants to turn them into great men and show them that way and lead. And, and that, I think that's everything that Marcus stands for. Um, and, and no matter how the message comes across, it's still the same message. And there's, there's plenty of different ways to say the same thing. And um, I'm sure once Marcus understands the passion, the fire and the care, um, because I think that's what's lost. Just because somebody screams at you doesn't mean he's um, he's wrong or he's 
he's scary or whatever, you know, it, it's kind of, that's kind of a really soft way to look at things. In my opinion, if somebody's, you know, if somebody's passionate enough to tell you what you don't necessarily want to hear, but it's going to be better for you and for the group that you're a part of, um, then you should be all ears, no matter how the tone is. And I honestly, if you're talking about colorful language, the most honest people I've ever come across, all talking with all talk like a sailor. And I appreciate that. I think there's something to that. There's no sugarcoating. And in a world where all people want to do is get their ass kissed, he, he isn't going to be the one to do it. And at the end of the day, it's going to be the best thing for those kids. And uh, it'll produce the best five on the field. And um, that's how it always was. And it, it's not just, and it's, you know, it's funny that there, everybody's talking about recruiting and have to hitting home runs on recruiting. Well, you know what? Harry, when he played, he probably had, a total of 12 guys in six years start games for him. You know, like it's once you're in there, you're there, you know, it's like it, he, 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 he develops mainstays to what, you know, and, and, and the continuity across the board. And so once the older guys and the, and the guys that are at the forefront adopt his mentality and start seeing things like he does, you know, competing the way that he does, working the way that he does, the more the younger guys and the recruits start seeing that kind of level of respect and admiration that even in the toughest of times, you still respect it because, you know, you know, there's no better way. You referenced this a little bit, and, and obviously Harry's track re- record speaks for itself. I think three top 10 picks, six linemen drafted in the first three rounds, and a Joe Moore award winning line in his first go round in South Bend. Obviously, you were one of those top 10 picks and, and were on that Joe Moore Award winner. Why is it, do you think, that he's had such a high success rate at, at developing guys for the NFL? And, and is there anything that sticks out to you the most about your time under him that you might still carry with you today? I carry everything with that from that what that guy taught me today. Um, you know, obviously not. I don't remember every single word that, that he says, but it, every time I prepare for a football game, I hear his voice. You know what I mean? It, it, he's one of those guys that, his way is the is the only way, and and you know people say it's a bad thing to be a my way or the highway kind of guy. Harry is that guy, but it's absolutely warranted because there's only one way to do it. And once you truly believe in what he's teaching and believe in the way that he's coaching you and the techniques that he's coaching you and the way that you study football, um, it's the only way that you ever find acceptable again, and you find that same passion that he has for it that you get bothered by other people doing stupid shit. And that's what he always has, has done. But the reason he is, you know, the best coach, in my opinion, is one, his intensity and passion for this, for his job um, is, is unmatched. He raises the standard of every room he walks in um, for both behavior on and off the field, com- competition level on the field, um, he's an unbelievable teacher. He has this, you know, he has this unique way of, of hammering home detail, hammering home, you know, different way, you know, here, you got to see this, this way, you know, here's how your, you know, your, your hands out of here. I need it in here. Whatever stupid technique he's teaching he fundamentally gets how to connect through and show you the way and, and how to move, how to study and all that. And, um, 
I think lastly, he's just, he just, um, he believes in what he's teaching. I think the conviction, um, in which he operates and the, and the standard in which he operates and the, and the, um, all that is, is the reason why he's that good because he's so, you know, he's so convicted in his beliefs, um, that there's, you know, you just, you just by default adopt it yourself. It's funny. You're the second person to say that Harry Heastand is essentially the voice in your head because Sam Bush said that Heastand basically can, controls his subconscious now, uh, still after all these years. <laughs> Sam uh, might have a little different voice in his head than I do. I, 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 uh, he, he's, he took his lumps, that's for sure. Yeah, we heard the story about how I think Harry said he had the common sense of a gnat, amongst other things. Yeah. All right, last question on Harry, though. I know it's a little bit different now that he's back on staff. And you've played with him for five years, so you probably have plenty of stories. Is there one that sticks out to you or a favorite that you can still share with us? Uh, there's so many. Um, so when I was a freshman, it might have been, I think it was my second semester. So I, it was my first spring ball. And the way we sat in the room was by depth. So it was left tackle, left guard, center, right guard, and right tackle. So, and then we all, we shared this long desk and we would all slide underneath. And so the right tackle would be the last chair of the hallway that the coach could walk on. And so we used to joke that whoever heroned that position was just in the death chair, right? Because you were the closest <laughs> to him. He, you could, you know, we could, whatever. And normally that guy was normally going to be the next one that comes and takes over. Right. And so there was a, it was a big, that was the, that was the chair that you got molded in and learned the way or else you were going to, you were either going to, it was like, it was sink or swim time. You know what I mean? <laughs> and I come in one spring ball morning. I, he probably won't even remember this because he gets so worked up about this stuff and he can't even like, but Hunter, Hunter Biven will tell you, he's, he's on, he, he, this is his favorite story. And it's like six o'clock in the morning. And that's when our meeting started. Cause he would start, you know, sometimes we'd start a couple, you know, a couple minutes early, not a couple, but you know, whatever, whatever. Um, and I didn't eat, I didn't eat anything. And I was going out to a football practice. And so I needed something before we had this six 30 AM spring ball practice and I was eating like one of those Gatorade protein bars while he, and I was sitting in that, I was sitting in the front of the room and I'm, I'm like doing the wrapper or something. And he always, he was already on edge with me because I was <laughs> a, a dumb freshman and frustrating probably to coach. Um, and I'm Rick crinkling the bar, like throw it away or whatever. And he st stops dead in his tracks and he's like, are you effing kidding me? I'm like, what? He's like, you're just going to eat in my meeting room? I'm like, I didn't get breakfast. He's like, I don't give a shit that you didn't get breakfast. <laughs> Goes on and on this tangent. And then he just finishes it up. He's like, get out of here. That's just fucking rude, right? And I'm like, oh, Jesus, here we go. This is the start to my day, right? So I walk out of the room. And then 10 minutes later, they break the meeting. And now, now it's like, we're going to practice. The rest of that day was a nightmare, thing. but it was, uh, it made me who I was, man. That was cool. It was funny. It, you know, looking back, it's the funniest thing. It's uh, something so stupid as crinkling a rapper. And, uh, but that was the discipline that he, it was a military, it was a respect 
it was a standard and um, all that suited me to, you know, being a, a great pro. And that's, uh, you know, it's one of the funnier ones, but I, other ones are more colorful, but probably not. For- <laughs> I understand. Yeah, that's, that's fair. Um, we know you still follow the program pretty closely. Obviously the offensive line has a lot of young talent. I know two of the guys we're pretty excited about are the two young guys, the tackle positions, Joe Alt and Blake Fisher. Is there anything about those two guys that, that stands out to you or maybe something that impresses you the most about them? Well, I think Fisher just like, he's just a pure size, man. He is a massive dude. Um, seeing him finally, I got, I was fortunately able to watch the Fiesta bowl. It was, I think it was like a Saturday uh, this year. So I was hurt. I wasn't, you know, doing anything on a Saturday. And, uh, I remember that was his first game back, I think from his injury or something. And I was like, Holy shit, that dude looks big in pads, man. Like, like, you know what I mean? And, um, and then you see him move his feet and his pass set and you're like, Whoa, this dude, this dude could be, you know, he could be something. Obviously he's an 18 year old and he's got a long way to go, but you're like, you see it. Right. Alt reminds me a little more of myself. He's got, he's, he's a long, tall, um, athletic guy, you know, I don't know how I told, I, I met up with the guys when they were here at Stanford, um, for the Thanksgiving weekend game. And I remember talking to the kid and I was like, dude, I don't know how you did it. Like true freshman year, I was not in any position to be able to start football games for Notre Dame and you've done it and you've done it well. Right. And he's he, like, it's not like he's playing poorly. He's a good player. Um, and so I think that's he, he he's been, he's got a lot to he's raw and he's he's got a lot of strength to build and stuff like that. But um, you can see it in both of those kids, man. They're um, they're lucky to have that. Their name's lucky to have them. And um, I think they're going to both go under a huge transformation under the guy that's coming in to coach them. So um, that's uh, that's exciting for Notre Dame football for sure. Yeah, I think they'll do real well so long as they don't eat any Gatorade protein bars during meetings. Yeah, don't eat boys pressing in. Don't do it. Don't so, fall asleep either. It's always bad. Oh, I can't even imagine. All right, so so far this season, we've seen several guys announce uh, that they were going to put the NFL draft on hold to come back to Notre Dame for the 2022 season. And, you know, that's not all that common these days, uh, but it reminded me of your decision to come back for a fifth year after the 2016 season. And I know it surprised some people at the time, considering Notre Dame had just gone four and eight. And I think you were already projected to go in the first or second round of the NFL draft. And I think now it's safe to say that it worked out for you, given all the success you guys had in, in 2017 and the fact you ended up being selected ninth overall in the 2018 draft. But there were certainly some risks involved in making that decision. So could you just take us through your thought process at the time and why you ultimately decided to come back for your fifth year? Um, yeah, there's a number of reasons. One, um, I wasn't ready personally. Um, I didn't think my game was good enough. I had, a, you know, honest conversations. This is where Harry Heastan, you know, helped an integral part of my life. You know, I sat in his office after the season's over and, um, I said, you know, coach, what do you think? And he, and he you know, we watch film and we watch film of guys that I want to be like, left tackles in the NFL. I was watching left tackles at the time. Right. Um, and he points out like, this is where I think you're at. This is, you know, projections aside, um, because I don't think he's like projections don't mean shit until you, you know, until you solidify who you are on tape because yeah, he's like, if you're projected as a first rounder, Mike, and you get picked in the first rounder, 
you're going to have, you're going to be the starter and you're going to have to go in and play right away NFL football. And not that that scared me because it didn't scare me, but you know, then I took his coaching to heart and I was like, you know what? One, I think I, I have a lot left to accomplish here. I, uh, I was like a, you know, I think I was like a third team or second team all American. So I wasn't really, I don't think I was ready personally. And then um, two, I, I knew I had the best teacher I could possibly have um, in, in, in Harry um, for one more year. You know, Q and I talked, and, and he obviously was in a pretty similar position as me. Um, and I don't think a fifth year has ever helped. Or I, he was, His wasn't a fifth year, he was, but his, I don't think a return year to football ever helped another individual more than it helped Quentin Nelson. <laughs> Uh, yeah, so we, I was. I think I made. I, going back to my point, I think I made like a second or third team All American, and Q was kind of the same way. And we were like, you know, there's so much more here. Like, like that's not acceptable, right? Like, we're so much better than any Jamoke we see on tape, and we didn't play well enough, right? We, uh, you know, Q and I could both point to our our second our second to last year and be like, that's gross, right? Like, that's gross football. And so we took that to heart. Um, going into that off season and then Bayless gets hired and we were able to start changing ourselves that way. And we never had felt better going into a football season before. And we both treated it like our first season in the NFL. You know, I had some like graduate non-degree seeking graduate courses to take or whatever, but Sarge had to sit me down at one point. Who's our academic guy. And he's like, dude, I understand you've already graduated and you're here to only play football, but you at least have to act like look the part. Right. <laughs> and um, so we just competed our ass off that year. We pushed each other to get really, really good. And um, we both made, you know, consensus or I think he was even unanimous all American. Um, and there was some, there was a competitive nature in us. Like, you know, we wanted to be the first team all American. We wanted to be the Joe Moore award. We wanted to be, top 10 picks you know q and i were probably like both if he'd be lying to you if in in his head on draft night he's not thinking oh man i need to go before mike because you know because that's who we were and we were best friends but that's that's what made us so great together as partners and and so it was a cool dynamic between the two of us that when we had those conversations that winter I'm like, yeah, we got to go back. And, and on top of it, we went four and eight and we both loved Notre Dame. You know, we were, we love Notre Dame and it just wasn't a good place to, to be, um, to leave at least. And we knew that with the right changes and with Harry still leading us, we were going to everything that we want as a team and everything that we want as individuals will take care of itself. After Brian Kelly announced he was taking the job at LSU, Matt Bayless, the strength and conditioning coach was the first person on staff to announce he was going to be staying at Notre Dame. I think his exact quote actually was, I want to die here, which is the most on-brand quote of a strength coach ever. But uh, the reaction to this news from current and former players was really telling. I think the last time we had you on, you mentioned how important Coach Bayless was in turning things around after 2016, and he's continued to build on that over the past four years to the point where Jack Swarbrick recently called him the Minister of Culture for the Notre Dame football program. So could you describe the culture of the program today and, and how Coach Bayless is the focal point of it all? I can't really describe much of it today just because, you know, I've been out five years now. Um, But back in 17, he just lit a fuse into the program that, you know, has obviously lasted to this day. Um, Everything was about competition. Everything was about getting stronger. Everything was about 
being disciplined. Everything was about teamwork and completely revamping the vibe that was 2016 into 17. And that whole, that off season is carried into, you know, the five years um, that Notre Dame's had consecutively now. And um, Bayless announcing that he was staying is as big of, to me is as big as, you know, Harry coming back. And he, he has that kind of an effect on people as well. And, you know, people don't, truly understand this but the strength coach in a college football program is probably the most important hire that you have because he's the only guy that's legally allowed to see these kids 24 7 365 and has a direct hand and influence in every single kid on the team and if that guy's screwed up and not qualified then you know it trickles throughout the rest of the team and matt uh and coach bayless certainly came back in and changed that around and um, the work that him and Harry did together that year and the way that, you know, they just turned us loose into becoming bigger, faster, and stronger than any line that we played all year. Um, it was just, a, it was a cool, a cool thing to be a part of. And him announcing that he was staying is, is huge. And especially because, you know, he was brought in by Kelly. People think that, you know, in coaching stabs, you're loyal to the guy that brought you in. Well, um, you know, fortunately at Notre Dame, Notre Dame outlasts any man and uh, your, your commitment to Notre Dame and, and your, you know, loyalty always goes to the, the, the monogram and not anybody else. What's the toughest workout Bayless put you through while you were there? Ooh, uh, the Valentine's day massacre for sure. It's a pretty terrifying name for a workout. What do you have you do? So there, he does like four, four of these, I think, maybe a year or maybe every season of training, whether it's summer, no, it's two every season. So it's two in the, in the winter training, two in the summer training. And uh, no, there's four in winter training. So, and then probably two in the summer training. So there's six total. And um, they're like, these are like the lifts that you like, it's, it's not just a lift. It's like running circuits. It's like everything um, that you could pros- probably pros- possibly do in fitness. Um, but it's hard. It's at five, it's like five thirty start six o'clock start. And it's an hour and a half to two hours of just nonstop hardest workout you've ever done. And, um, we knew, we knew we had heard stories before, you know, that's kind of how we got the name people who had played for him at Florida or Connecticut, um, had friends on in our program and stuff. And they're like, dude, this dude, like before we, once we found out he was hired, we were all at home on winter break and we were all talking. They're like, dude, this dude is like rumored to be one of the like hardest guys out there. Right. And so we all had this intense anticipation. And then he throws us into this workout about a month and a half into our training that winter. And I've never, I've never ever in my life felt that that tired and sore and um thankfully that spring was my true senior spring so i only had like one credit left to graduate and so i thankfully that like the only thing that saved me that day was that i could go right home from the workout and fall asleep on the couch with with smythe and bivin because i don't i don't know how i would walk to class that day like it was like quiver legs quivering huffing and puffing like you know it was screwed up we walked into the old indoor, the new indoor is beautiful, but it wasn't there when I was there. 
Um, and in the, in Loftus, there's just trash cans lining the whole football field. And you're like, oh man, they already put these out. Like this is going to be something else. Right. And so, yeah, the Valentine's day massacre winter of 2017, that was the, uh, that was the hardest thing I've ever done probably physically. Yeah, definitely. Definitely sounds like it. Now, as we wrap this up, we'll go full circle here and, and ask about your time with the 49ers again. You've played on the biggest stage in all sports, playing in the Super Bowl against the Chiefs two years ago. And I'm sure you get asked what that was like all the time. So I'll try to frame this a little differently. Obviously, there's a ton of prep that goes into that game for both teams. And, and every minute in the two weeks between the conference championship game and the Super Bowl is accounted for. But was there one thing or maybe multiple things that you really can't prepare for until the moment finally arrives and you're on the field in that game? Yeah, uh, there's a couple of things. Um, the one thing that sneaky is is a weird deal about the Super Bowl is that it takes forever at warmups in the pregame halftime. Like people don't realize that like all the entertainment that they're getting for the football game and the the show that is the Super Bowl, we're standing on the sidelines just waiting to play, and so we've already all warmed up and the national anthem and the pregame show and all this stuff and it's like a 45 minute ordeal since introductions and so you're just like sitting there fine and the game takes forever because there's an extra 25 minutes at halftime too because of the super bowl show um so that sneaky is one thing you can't really prepare for is that delay of being like okay i'm ready to go but i can't go yet and so that was kind of weird um uh, and other than that, it was, you know, it was pretty much just a football game. The, the hardest part of that game was the waiting for the game, for the show part of it and like coordinating family, like around with tickets and hotels and my, in Miami, Florida. And like, it was just, it that was, that was a, a, a headache in and of itself. But, um, so the two things that are the weirdest thing about the Super Bowl is, is the logistics, right? It, it's just like, that's makes it the hardest. But other than that, dude, it's just a football game. It's just one more game. And at the end, one team gets confetti thrown on them and the other has to walk through it in misery. And that's, uh, that's, that's pretty much it. It was, it was so it's a, it's the cool, it is the coolest thing in the world because you're sitting there and warming ups doing your pass sets and more and sprints or whatever. And there's like celebrity row, like Jay-Z and Beyonce are walking up the sideline on the 50 yard line or Meek Mill is on the other side or, you know, even Bradley Cooper or whoever was there, you know, like these, it's like, you see all these people and you're like, holy shit, this is, this is why it's the greatest event in mankind. Right. It's like yeah. crazy. All right. We'll wrap this up with four rapid fire questions. Uh, first one, what's the weirdest interaction you've ever had with a fan? So I, the one thing I, I like is, like bizarre to me is like there's so many people that are completely um like so so forward and and on instagram and stuff like the, the dms that they send you and and so whether it's asking for you know money or tickets or um connects can i meet jimmy g like the, the people have no shame on the internet like they, <laughs> They will send you and tell you whatever and and hateful and love you like it's it's crazy, um, so that's the crazy like that the stuff like there's there's been some weird weird requests, um, on the internet for sure um, and in person, um, 
there was a you know there's a couple times where you know like our team security sometimes has to get on people um because you know i'm in philadelphia for instance and this past year and my whole family's there that's where i'm from i'm i have a huge irish catholic family like i had probably like 50 people waiting for me in the family section of the game but all these people like bum rushed the family section because they found out that's where the players are coming out and so they would like and all I'm trying to do is give my mom a hug and a kiss. And I'm, and these guys are like autographs and then they're yelling at you for not giving them. I'm like, dude, I'm literally, I just have to see my mom. Like, like just let me get through to my mom and dad and see my aunts and uncles and stuff. And then like, I'll sign whatever you want. Just like, but I'm not going to use the 30 minutes that I get to see them to like, you know, sign your, so people not really understanding um, that stuff, but I don't have any, like, they don't, like, I'm not, big enough to get like the outlandish stuff you know happened to me so i don't have like you know i'm not like a 80s rock concert with people like approaching you know it's not nothing like that it might be for guys like kittle and jimmy and those things but not me all right uh what's the uh the hardest hit you've ever taken on a football field hardest hit oh that's any that's a no-brainer you always remember that um we're in a nine-on-seven drill, my third spring at Notre Dame. I'm the starting right tackle. You know, this was our 15 line with me, Ronnie Q, Nick, and Steve. We were we were nasty. I don't know how we didn't win the Joe Moore Award that year. That was bullshit. Um, but Jalen Smith was our inside linebacker, and we're running this nine-on-seven drill. And obviously, in spring ball, you've seen the same play 50,000 times running against each other. And so Jalen knew exactly what was coming. We were just – it was nine defenders on seven offensive guys. We're running 30 – it was uh, – what was it? 33 black or something. It was 32 because I was – that was the number. So that was – we used a number system. So 32 was a uh, one tight end set power. So I had to – I was the guy that was going yeah. for Jalen. Right? And he saw me coming from a mile away. And he like – same foot, same shoulder – boom, like right into and hits me like, because my, the coaching point is to get your head across. Right. Yeah. So I threw my head and he hit me right here. And like, you just see me on film, just go like full noodle. And I, I was fortunate. I, you know, I got up from it, but I like lost control of my body for about two, three seconds. And, um, Jalen put one on me, man. He, he really did. And I, I, I've never forgotten it to this day. Yeah, you certainly weren't the only one. Um, okay, what was the hardest class you took as a student at Notre Dame? Ooh, hardest class I took at Notre Dame. Um, there was some chemistry class uh, that we had to take as an elective. It was like a science elective. It was like the... Uh, Wait, weren't you an FTT major? What were you doing taking chemistry? Well, it was like one of the gen ed requirements. Everybody had to do yeah, like two right. sides. Yeah. So I was, it was like second semester freshman year and our, <laughs> none of us were science guys. Like, right. Like I started, I was, I was FTT, but I started in finance up until, you know, school got a little in the way of football. Um, but I remember this, it was, I can't remember. It was Jed or Jeb. Fisher, Jeb Fisher was the professor of this. 
it was like not foundations of chemistry or something along those lines, but Sarge told me it was like going to be like this easier science elective, right? So nine of us in our class from the football team take this fucking course. And like the first three days, this guy's doing like full blown, like chemical compound equations on the board. And I'm, I go in, I'm like, Sarge, what the fuck did you get us into? <laughs> and he's like, Oh, I don't know. I, I didn't expect it to be like that. And we had such a coordinated response to how to like, who did up what, the nine of us that took the class dude it was a grind to get to pass that class for sure i i took uh i took it management too when i was a business major and i i stupid i was like trying to crack the starting lineup at the time so i was like skipping class to like work out extra and stuff i so i missed a bunch of classes on how to do the spreadsheet shit and excel like so so big right? Like anybody in business knows how to use Excel. I do not still because I skipped this guy's class. And the first, the first, um, the first exam, it was like, I tried to cram a couple days in and, but, and have my dad works in Excel pro, pretty much all the time. So he was trying to like teach me over the phone. I was just not working. And so I go in and in Excel, right. You can't, you know, you can't move on until you've, got the right set on the first page and it was five it was a five page spreadsheet and i didn't get off the first page by the time the guy was like hey time's up and i literally walked right up to him i was like professor you're not gonna see me in this class anymore (laughs) he's like what do you mean um i was like um i just got a zero on that exam and i will not be able to you know keep that GPA will plummet, right? And so um, I dropped the class. A couple of weeks later, I turned into an FTT major, and uh, fortunately, football was able to carry me. <laughs> uh, that's good. Um, now, to, to wrap this up, we'd be doing a disservice if we didn't include at least one CJ's question. So do you have a favorite night at CJ's Pub ever in, in your time of going there? Favorite night at CJ's Pub ever? Um, there's a couple that, are, that stand out. Um, CJ, it's kind of just as a, as a prelim, it's really disappointed me to hear that CJ's pub is not like the go-to spot anymore. Like it breaks, that breaks my heart. I can't tell you how much that breaks my heart. Um, but there's three, the night we beat Michigan, uh, 37 zip or whatever, 31 zip. That was sick. That was a great night. We stayed up till like 5 or 6 a.m. that night. Um, the next year, we beat Texas like crazy. on the, And it's and yeah. it's the first, both are like the first home game of the year. So everybody's fucking super charged up. Um, and then uh, the CJs before graduation. That was uh, – it was a, everybody was super emotional singing Piano Man and stuff. That, that, was, a, that was an all-timer. Biven just got married this past summer and we rented out CJ's for the night post wedding. And uh, that was a hell of a CJ's run as well. Damn. That's awesome. You got one in later than graduation. 20, 26 years old, still going, you know, <laughs> I like it. All right, man, that's it. We know you got stuff to do. So thank you so much for the time. This has been great. We really appreciate it. So best of luck to you and your recovery and uh, good luck against the Rams on Sunday. We'll be rooting for the Niners. I appreciate it guys. Thanks for having me on, man. 
All right. That's a wrap. Thanks for tuning in and listening. Hope everybody enjoyed that. I thought really interesting conversation with Mike McGlinchey on the impact of Harry Heastan. We will be back as soon as the rest of the coaching staff is finalized. So that being the running backs coach position and and defensive coordinator, of course, hopefully sooner rather than later. But for now, make sure to uh, like, subscribe, and, and follow us on all of our social media at Sons of Sat Irish. And we'll talk to you soon. 